0: When I do speak about this topic, about geospatial and enterprise data, I usually say something along the lines of, this is real, this is happening, this isn't science fiction, like people are doing this. And like I said in the beginning, the customers we see that are doing this have a clear competitive advantage and differentiation.
1: Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Krista Crumb, Analyst Relations Lead at Esri, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard Matt Zenas, Global Vice President, Database and Data Management Solution Go to Market at SAP, stress the necessity of spatial analytics to improve decision making and meet the increasing demands of business and government. Edge-seeking organizations extract value from their big data with location intelligence and spatial analytics. Here, Esri CMO Mariana Cantor discover examples of location technology revealing critical insights and helping organizations make sense of their data. Matt, hello, and welcome to our podcast series.
0: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
1: I'd
2: like to open our interview by quoting you. In a recent article uh, that was published in the CIO magazine, you write, imagine opening up a treasure map for your business that shows you where new business opportunities, cost savings and partnerships are, or could be. In business terminology, this treasure map is the geo-enabled digital enterprise. Can you unpack this for us?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, first of all, thank you for having me and giving this opportunity to speak with you. Actually, geospatial is a, is a passion area of mine. Coming from SAP, I work with a lot of large enterprises, more on the business side. You know, looking at the system of record for their business in the enterprise. But what I can say is, is that we absolutely see that organizations that combine spatial with enterprise data, have a clear competitive advantage and differentiation. Full stop, we see it every day. And really spatial is more than just about points on a map. It's about better insights, better business decisions, driving more innovation, and ultimately, from our perspective, the vision is actually bringing geospatial into your business processes.
2: Speaking of business processes, Can you give us some examples of business processes where this location intelligence comes into play and how?
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, of course, when we look at things that are very asset and location intensive, things like enterprise asset management, real estate, things along those lines, even CRM where there's a location component, the ability to look at data just not tabularly or columnarly but actually look at it on a map is absolutely critical. This is how people think. This is how people absorb information. And what we're striving for is to actually embed spatial and spatial decision making into those type of business processes. So when someone is wanting to put in a new piece of uh, our new asset, like could be a new power line, a new a new segment of track, you know, something along those lines, to have that actually integrated with your financial systems, your maintenance systems and your operational systems, because they all go hand in hand.
2: Are there specific industries that are farther along adopting location intelligence technology, sort of further along on the cutting edge?
0: Yeah, there's the traditional, or what I like to call the traditional uh, GIS or geospatial companies and organizations. This is what you'd expect, like, like the public sector, utilities, oil and gas, transportation. What we find is many of these organizations already have even their own GIS departments. Right, but we are seeing now is actually is a trend to what I'll call newer organizations or newer industries that are starting to adopt it as well and use it in a very unique way. So, for example, we're starting to see it being used a lot in healthcare, beyond just things like uh, outbreak detection and other clinical things, which it, it absolutely can be used for. But we're actually seeing it now where actual actual healthcare providers are starting to use geospatial to look at market and share analysis. Um, we're also seeing it uh, with insurance companies detecting fraud, you know, so looking at after a natural disaster has come in, then determining where claims are being submitted and seeing if that coincides with w- where there's an actual event that has occurred. And even more recently, we've been working with some cu- uh, customers that are in the entertainment industry uh, or, or even sports where they want to give their fans a more rich, a better experience, and they're using geospatial as well. And in fact, uh, some of these include sports teams leveraging geospatial to track players, to track hockey pucks, to track other type of things. A uh, city of Cape Town is a really good example. Uh, the challenge that they had is that they had disparate emergency departments that were all kind of managed separately. And uh, so what they did is they, they came up with a solution leveraging SAP and, and ESRI to actually combine all this information. And so now at their command center, they can see in real time where all their assets are, like police cars and ambulances and fire trucks. Also in real time as people call in where the incidents are. And now because they see this across all these different emergency departments across the entire city, they can more effectively dispatch these resources. Uh, They can be uh, more effective in terms of being able to address the issue and ultimately save lives. Um, another one as well is working with a reinsurance company uh, called Munich RE, of course, based in Munich. So they insure insurance companies. And so they, they have a, a great use case where they're looking at wildfire risk, for example. So they're actually, in this case, using satellite imagery to look at foliage, you know, the conditions on the ground to determine... Is there a high propensity of of a fire risk? And then even after a fire occurs, comparing before and after and updating their models in terms of, you know, which which properties will they actually uh, write or underwrite for, you know, these kind of things. So actually all this being fed back into their underwriting policies and leveraging geospatial. So looking at the satellite imagery, and then also looking at the parcels of land, you know, that are around it. So you're now taking satellites, GIS, And also their business information as well combining that all together ultimately making better decisions writing better policies and ultimately in some cases more policies
2: this is fascinating so how does a business decide whether it needs to invest and embrace location intelligence in its technology portfolio what we see is that typically organizations or
0: leaders in the organization don't wake up one day and say, I want to do location intelligence, right? It's not maybe the top of mind. It's usually stemming from a business problem, something that they're trying to solve. Either they're reacting to it or they're proactively trying to address it. Maybe it's to get into a new market, a new area, or to compete more effectively. Traditionally, based on those business requirements is where we see the requirements come in for location intelligence. In fact, I can say now I I get exposure to a lot of the RFIs and RFPs that come from from some of the largest organizations looking for like a data management strategy. And now I'd have to say 99% of those have requirements for location intelligence, more than just maps, but actually the ability to process, compute, store spatial data. And ultimately be able to integrate that natively with other business data, other business processes, and even other more advanced processing features. So, for example, being able to combine geospatial with machine learning, with predictive, with text analysis, text mining, text search, as well as even graph analysis, looking at networks and relationships. So we're seeing this a a lot more.
2: Yeah, it's it sounds very complex. Um, so to achieve these business benefits that you describe, enterprises need to undertake intensive data and system integration, right? So they combine ERP, CRM, IoT streaming data, GIS data, and so on. Well, so how should an organization approach this highly complex and quickly evolving technology landscape?
0: There's a saying that we've heard recently, and you may have heard it as well, is that data is the new oil, right? Mm. It's there. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe 10 years ago, 15 years ago, if you wanted to tackle a business problem, there was always a challenge of getting data, like the data just wasn't there. Well, that's not the problem anymore. Data is everywhere and everything is generating it, literally. Smart meters, wind turbines, your car, your watch, your mobile device— Your appliances are talking to the manufacturer and things like that, and there's more demands on the data. It's no longer good enough to know, well, how did I do last quarter? How did I do last month? Or how did I do even how am I doing today? You need to know what's going to happen using advanced analytics and things like that. The only way you can really address this is with a sound data management strategy and governance strategy. And what you have to understand though, maybe in the past it was, the strategy was, oh, well, bring all my data to one place. This is the common data warehousing philosophy and strategy. But that's, first of all, that's not feasible. You know, People have tried to do that and it's just untenable. What you need is a strategy that allows you to process, store and compute data wherever it is. And be able to do that seamlessly, frictionlessly, and virtually and be able to connect to these different data sources and understanding that some data is going to be more important than others that you may want to have more localized, I'll call that hot data, where you need the data instantaneously, maybe you're streaming it live from from an asset or some sort of machine. It could be warm data that's perhaps not as important, but you still need to be able to get access to it. And then there's the cold, the big data, the unstructured data that you don't need to necessarily touch more frequently, but you do need that robust history of data to be able to go back and run analysis and predictive and bring this all together.
2: Right. From a CIO perspective, that's quite a challenge. But from a business perspective, how would an executive start or continue to think about this voluminous streaming data and these various sources of data, what would they tell their IT organization to do?
0: From, a, from an executive perspective, the, the key and everything really has to boil back to and resolve to a, a business case, a business strategy, ultimately. And this is where actually we see a lot of the concerns coming from the CEOs um, this whole idea, you may hear it as the digital economy, the digital business, uh, call it the intelligent enterprise. Um, this is what keeps them up at night, is being able to know that they can keep up with their competitors. Um, many of these executives uh, don't even have a, a strategy necessarily in place to, to address it, or, and they're concerned they're going to be left behind because this new digital reality is actually totally changing their industry, or creating at net new industries as well. And so what they need to be able to do is set a, a strategy about how they want to deal with this, but also what the what the goal is. What we're seeing is many organizations that I'll call traditional, right? Uh, big companies where they might be uh, industrial, creating turbines and things like that. They now no longer look at themselves necessarily as a manufacturer. They look at themselves as a technology company that just so happens to make things. And instead of them actually selling the asset, now the new model is selling the output of the asset, being very elastic. Um, things along those lines. So imagine someone selling you a light bulb today. Now in the future, they'll be selling you the usage of that light bulb.
2: What about business intelligence versus location intelligence? Could you help explain to us what the difference is and how you think of the two?
0: Well, first of all, what I would say is it is becoming apparent to us that those two thoughts are converging into one. I don't think it can be one or the other anymore. You know, BI is traditionally, let me take some data, maybe it's from an ERP system, something very structured, and then running reports on it, you know, a pivot table, looking at it on a chart, location intelligence, you know, leveraging geospatial, latitudes and longitudes, looking at relationships and things like that. But now the products that we see, in fact, you're not just interacting with the data, but now you're interacting with a map that's starting to manipulate the data that's that's associated with it or manipulating the data and then watching the map change. And so certainly what we're seeing is that um, although there may be two different camps in the past, you know, one group may be more focused on location intelligence and one on BI. Now, I think with the end users and organizations, they're demanding to have these two things together. They want to see their data on a map, and they just don't want to see points. They want to interact with it. They want to change things. They want to test hypotheses. They want to model it differently. So I see them as as two streams that are, that are converging.
2: Interesting. Yeah, it's all about making sense of all that data, right? So I'd like to quote um, a Deloitte study uh, with a pretty keen observation about human... Predilection of you. Well, the human brain doesn't work in rows and columns. Our brains often organize information based on time and place. But for many organizations, information is still confined to rows and columns. This makes reporting fast and easy, but not necessarily more insightful. Today, it is possible for organizations to add the context of timing and location to traditional data, creating maps that show changes over time and exactly where those changes are taking place. So you mentioned maps, but maps are also evolving and becoming more powerful. So how do you think of maps and visualization in general to help make sense of all that data?
0: I would say when you think of maps, it's probably the most human thing that we can all like understand. Like you could go to any country, you could go to Tokyo and not understand the, the language. But if you saw a map, that gives you a bearing point. It's a very human thing to understand a map, no matter what language it is, no matter what culture or anything like that. So there's a certain capability and a certain ability to leverage maps in a way that allows people to understand data quicker. So in the beginning when I was saying, hey, this is more than points on a map, that doesn't preclude the use of maps. Usually, maps can be the first thing that someone's interacting with from an analytic perspective to go look at trends, as you had mentioned. Uh, that that that's a big uh, a big use case with geospatial is like what I'll call time travel. Being able to kind of slide a slider and look at maybe it's an outbreak, uh, maybe it's some other event that's happening and seeing like what's happening in real time visually and then looking at the relationship of that event with other events or other locations as well. So that is a a really critical part. What we try to really get to is that leveraging geospatial location intelligence behind the scenes in many cases, using advanced analytics like machine learning and alerting people to perhaps an event or something that they need to address without necessarily them ever looking at a map or even understanding how they got the alert. That some really smart people behind the scenes have figured out that based on certain criteria, based on predictive analysis and the d- different scenarios, that alert will be generated. And, and behind the scenes, that could actually be a, a, a really hardcore, complicated geospatial query running, looking at a particular instance or location and, and connected with the proximity to another event or location or equipment that needs to be looked at.
2: So in the world of artificial intelligence, we'll still use maps?
0: Oh, absolutely. I think, I think maps are always still going to be something that, again, a human will look at and understand, especially once perhaps something has been resolved as a problem or something to investigate, a map may be that final step to tell that worker to go to a certain area to go look at what the problem may be. So that, that's, a, that's a critical thing. But, you know, to your point, um, you know, an example I might give is, uh, for example, maybe a storm is coming into to a, a certain area, right? And maybe there's an executive that wants to know, well, what's, the, what's my impact going to be, you know, from the storm? You know, what are my assets that are going to be impacted? Or what's the revenue I might lose? Or what are the what is the worth of these assets? And, and what's the probability that they'll be destroyed or out of commission? They just may want to see what's the number, right? And this is where, again, using these layers and these data models behind the scenes with these other advanced calculations to resolve it just to a number. Okay, the, the number is ten billion. You know, that's going to be your impacted you know area and and uh, how much that you may be out of business for a while. A really good use case that we're hearing coming a lot from the utilities area, for example, is where a lot of these things are starting to converge in terms of artificial intelligence, machine learning, drones, and then uh, kicking off business processes. So as an example, imagine, you know, a drone, you know, flying around looking at infrastructure, maybe it's uh, power lines or other sort of uh, like cables or something along those lines, pipes, using then optically looking at these assets and then running machine learning algorithms to determine is this product going to fail, has it failed, things like that. And then using geospatial to know where the coordinates is and then looking around it. Is it near a school? Is it near a hospital? Is it near some other sensitive area that you would need to prioritize that? Then having that kick off a work order in your ERP system automatically based on all this happening. And then when the work order is being kicked off, looking at what type of materials needed, understanding you don't have inventory on it, kicking off a purchase requisition. All culminating to the point where now there's a person in the field with a handheld device, like a mobile work manager, telling them exactly where to go, what, 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 is the, what are the parts and products that they need to go resolve it, what's the criticality of it. But this is a really good example of bringing together all these kind of different things from drones and artificial intelligence, machine learning, and then embedding it into the business process, literally without anyone really touching what's going on.
2: There's a fascinating term you've used, advanced supply chain management. Could you talk about that?
0: Yeah, so when we talk about supply chain, I mean, this is everything from the time that you know, a purchase requisition is cut, you know, all the way through uh, the financial transactions that correspond with it, the material management movements, you know, all the way through the supplier receiving the, the purchase order you know, to deliver goods, and as well as all the other supply chain transactions that happen within that. The idea is to provide a very seamless way of being able to communicate with both the vendors and suppliers that provide all this information, but even using more intelligence. So even looking at things like perhaps you have multi-vendors that provide the same product, or parts that you might need in an organization that you've sourced them from. But it's using other type of techniques like geospatial to look at perhaps world events that may affect a partner from delivering. And in fact, there are some large companies, especially in the aerospace industry, where they do just this. They look at things like earthquakes, natural disasters, political unrest, things like that, that may have an impact on their supply chain. And this is then all factored into their material management information. So things that might affect lead time. So if they're normally expecting a part in 30 days, now they see some other event that's happening. They now need to recalculate and say, well, you know, because of this risk, it's now going to be 60 days. That's a big deal because now they have to recalculate safety stocks because the worst thing that can happen is, like, is to actually shut down a, a, a production line. So it's taking into account all this information, um, everything from the purchase rec to the delivery and everything in between and looking at how other ancillary events could actually impact your supply chain.
2: That's very powerful. And would you say that real-time awareness is a component of that process?
0: Absolutely. And this is where both real-time as well as even social media information. Mm-hmm. So these systems that I spoke about, actually, what they do is they they basically scroll through news feeds and Facebook and other sort of social media things and looking for uh, within text, and imagine this, imagine 33 different languages, right? Being able to then discern based on a news, a news information that's coming hot across the wire, being able to do linguistic analysis and be able to determine, is this a positive thing that's happened? Is it a negative thing? What, where, why? Is it happening? These kind of things. And then actually then taking that unstructured data, making it structured, and then feeding that back into, into your decision in your supply chain process.
2: What kind of advice would you give business executives to get these technologies into their organizations and get going?
0: Yeah, I think it's just that. What you said is get going. You know, get started today. Um, you know, when, I, when I do speak about this topic, about geospatial and enterprise data, I usually say something along the lines of, this is real. This is happening. This isn't science fiction. Like, people are doing this. And like I said in the beginning, the customers we see that are doing this have a clear competitive advantage and differentiation. You know, the technologies are there. These are things that you'll find that they're not breaking glass. They're not doing things for the first time. There's customers that are doing this and getting a lot of benefit from it. We're at a convergence point where there isn't a lack of data anymore. Uh, Now, the demands on the data are huge. But I think the, what's exciting for me is to see the organizations, the ones that are being very innovative, because those are the ones, the ones that know how to take advantage of all this data, to be able to actually create insights, make decisions on it, and actually make it part of their business processes, they're
1: going to win.
2: Awesome. Thank you
1: so much for being here with us. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thank you to Matt Zenas for explaining how location technology can give businesses a competitive edge and better insights. To learn more, download our free ebooks, Making Sense of Digital Transformation at esri.com forward slash where, and Making the Most of the Internet of Things at esri.com forward slash IoT.